Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today we're talking about Camelot, which premiered in 1960 with music by Alan J. Lerner, who did the book and lyrics, and music by Frederick Lowe. Um, Also, it was directed by Moss Hart, and I believe he did a lot of work on the book as well. And it's based on the King Arthur legend as adapted from the T.H. White novel, The Once and Future King. T.H. White. Yes, exactly. So, uh, Hannah, why don't you tell me about your familiarity with Camelot? All right. Well, for today's podcast, I rewatched uh, portions of the 1967 film, notably starring Vanessa Redgrave, um, who can do no wrong, but we will um, challenge that assumption later yeah. tonight, later today. Um, but um, I also saw it once as a young person. Um, I remember seeing it in Boston with my mother. I was very young. I think I was like seven or eight. And all I really remember is that the actor playing Arthur had had like a head injury. So oh my God. He- he had on like this bandage and he couldn't stand up. So he was like <laughs> bound to a chair. And afterwards, my mom was like, what the hell? Um, it's kind of so... like the Rent Live with the guy sitting no, yeah. oh, on wow. the table with his boot. I have to admit, y'all, I have not watched any clips from Rent Live. And I don't know that I will. Maybe I should. I like, feel like as a queer person and as a theater person, I have an obligation, but... Uh... No, you have an obligation to be familiar with Rent. You don't have an obligation to be familiar with Rent Live. I just, um, it didn't feel like it was for me, strangely enough. No. Which is fine. I, so Vanessa Hudgens, I thought, did a great job. Mm. Um, I thought the Mark, the guy who played Mark did a great job. It's just tough because they had to go with the dress rehearsal performance when no one had was like giving their all. Most right. of them weren't giving that. Vanessa Hudgens was definitely giving her all in the dress rehearsal. You can, you can believe that. What was that. the deal? They, they used the dress rehearsal because the guy hurt his foot? Yeah, Roger broke his foot, like, at the end of the night. So almost the entire, at the end of the dress rehearsal performance. So he could not go on. Like, he literally could not stand up to do the show on the actual live performance night. But luckily they had taped it the night before for the dress rehearsal. I think, and there was no understudy. Um, I think in the future, when they do these live shows, everyone who is in them will remember this and give their all on the dress rehearsal night. Like, Angel was definitely sort of, like, marking her song. She was clearly, like, not going for the high notes, like, um, not belting them, sort of falsettoing them uh, to save her voice for the final night. And it was just not as good. But um but then they cut into the live performance for like the final scene and so they had it was when uh Mimi spoiler alert for Rent um you should know by now um when Mimi's like maybe dying and then doesn't die um Roger is by her bedside but he's just sitting on a table with his leg up on a chair in like a giant cast but I heard that you could like see the toes yeah like his toes were poking out it was like an enormous cast it was, it was really funny um oh dear yeah, but it was kind of boring. Um, I would <laughs> okay. say it's the most boring thing I've watched in the theater world in the past week or two, but I also watched the Camelot movie and Alice by Heart off-Broadway. Oh, oh, he's coming for it. He's coming yeah. for it. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, okay, okay. We should loop back to Alice by Heart. Let's get a little bit of Camelot content yeah. in. Um, so my, yeah, that was my familiarity with Camelot. Um, and so then I watched this film, um, or portions of the film. What is your familiarity with Camelot? Jeremy. My my familiarity was zero until I watched the movie. So you said you rewatched parts. Had you watched the whole movie before, or was no, this the no, no, no? Okay, this was my okay. first my first viewing. Yeah, so I watched the whole movie with my fiance, and then I was like, oh no, if I make 
Hannah watch this entire movie before we record, we're never going to record. Uh, so I, I just have to make them watch only the first half hour, and then we can hopefully do the pod. Um, how, how far did you get, by the way? Honestly, did you skip I just around skipped or... around. I just skipped around okay. and I watched a bunch of the songs. I reread okay. the summary of the plot to jog my memory, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to hit the high notes here. Um, mm. See, I was hoping you would just watch this, the first half hour uninterrupted so you could get a sense for like the horrible pacing and like <laughs> how not fun the parts in between the songs were. Oh, it was clear, because even when I okay. looked up like, okay, so I'm just going to skip around here. I looked yeah. up the part, I was like, oh, I'll watch the part where Guinevere gets burned at the stake. That sounds exciting. And they're singing this fucking like happy song (laughs) and like what is happening the pacing i was shocked i was shocked yeah like she's she's dying and Um, they're just like cutting to arthur in his sad throne with his like golden cape but it's it's so still and quiet yeah i mean clearly so much production went into this film i mean we should talk about the musical too more so than this production but like so much production like the costumes are beautiful the sets are beautiful and yet it's so boring no yeah i don't know if the i mean i'm sure the musical might have been a little things always pop more when they're on stage or at least that's what the common folks say i find myself constantly bored in the theater um i'm just constantly bored watching these musicals in the theater like musicals bore me i don't know i don't know why i'm doing this podcast because I, I love them i love going to these musicals and being bored by them and complaining it's my favorite activity but i, I think a music anyway i'm gonna play a little bit of this song that hannah just mentioned um okay. so guinevere is um spoiler alert to the arthurian legend of, of a thousand years old um if not longer ago arthur falls in love with guinevere brings the bravest knights of the realm to his round table lancelot is one of them and lancelot and guinevere begin a relationship and Arthur kind of knows about it, but, like, doesn't raise a stink because, like, he doesn't want to lose them. He doesn't want to lose this idealistic vision of the round table. But things are brought to a head by his, like, cheeky relative possible bastard son, Mordred. Mordred. Um, who, who's clearly like, a villain named Mordred. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, also, like, clearly the best character in the movie because he's, like, the only one who seems to be having any fun. The role um, that Jeremy would play. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Actually, side note, I was just thinking last night, if they could play any role in all of Broadway history, it would be Principal Konski in <gasps> Great Comet, the old, old guy. Principal Konski is crazy, <laughs> and Mary is plain on his family. Totally, totally messed up. Messed okay. up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a really good choice i think i would want to maybe play um maria <laughs> oh that's is that the friends it's the, it's the aunt right the aunt oh yes yeah. oh yeah so she was supposed to, the actress playing her was supposed oh, to be in alice by heart which we'll come back to and um yeah. she wasn't there but the understudy was excellent great cast it just needs a lot of work we'll get back to it mm. okay back okay, to, okay, okay. okay so so Morgia bring things to a head and uh guinevere is going to be burnt at the stake it's really sad this is like the dramatic linchpin of this show which isn't really a comedy it's very it's very dramatic it's a musical drama i just want to reinforce yeah. this is supposed to be serious <laughs> and dramatic and this is the most serious and most dramatic part of the whole show and this is what the cast is singing as guinevere is being like tied to the stake and like brushes being put under her feet oh whoops i just made a huge mistake <laughs> i made a huge mistake <laughs> The volume button is right next to the go to sleep button on this laptop. <laughs> That's actually maybe what happened with Camelot. <laughs> I can't believe this. Who let this song happen? I want when the, the ensemble comes in. What the hell? 
Okay. I hated Camelot, everyone. This is the worst <laughs> musical we've we've dealt with so far. Okay, but like, why? Like, how is it so bad? Like, I, I'm just confused. Actually, is how I feel. Like, I'm actually deeply confused by like how how it's. Like, the, the level of, like, the lack of taste required to execute it. You know what I mean? Because there's Perfect. so much that's good. Like, like like the, the fur that Vanessa Redgrave's wearing, I'm just saying, that deserves its own Oscar. Yes. Uh, perfect um. segue. Um, so <laughs> one reason to think... So now we'll talk about how this musical is put together. And um, it is tempting to say, oh, the movie was just bad, the musical is better, because, you know, you've sure. heard about it with the Kennedys, and we'll get into that. You've heard about, you know, like, it ran for a while. So, like, the musical must have been good, right? Great. Um, the original cast album was America's top-selling LP for 60 weeks. Has to be good, right? What? Actually, no. The musical got pretty bad reviews, and there there are reasons <laughs> why it holds an outsized role in American culture, um, which we'll get to um, as we go chronologically. But when the movie, when the musical just opened on Broadway before these sort of infusions of interest came in through other means, it was not really beloved. I have that one excellent, excellent book, um, which I don't come to often enough because we sort of want to like do our own takes on the show, but it's called Opening Night on Broadway by Stephen Suskin, where he collects the main um, reviews of mm. like all of the reviewers at the time and gives a sort of scorecard. Of the seven reviews he collected for Camelot, there's one rave, one favorable review, two mixed, and two, three unfavorable reviews. Mm. So definitely on the lower side, <clears throat> probably one of the worst-reviewed musicals we've talked about so far. Probably the worst-reviewed musical we've talked about together. I've done some pretty bad ones as minisodes. Um, <laughs> but um, pretty bad reviews. All right, hit us. Hit us with the dirt. Yeah, well, so I'll just go in a little bit about how it got put together. So it's okay, Lerner okay, and Lowe. Okay. They had just done My Fair Lady. That was in 1957. This was three years later. God, that's so um, strange, because that musical's popping. I know. And that's another... Like, all the reviews are like, eh, this is not My Fair Lady. So they basically decided they wanted to adapt T.H. Uh, White's The Once and Future King. And the, the people who really wanted to do this were Lerner, who does the lyrics, and then Moss Hart, who, you know, was a great playwright and, uh, you know, wrote books for shows. And Lowe, who writes the music, was not that interested, but he agreed to it um, on the understanding that if things went badly, this would be his final score. And that is what happened. <laughs> oh, um, no. So The Once and Future King, have you read it, Hannah? No, maybe like some of it in like school at some point. Yeah, so I had to read it. It was like my summer reading for sixth grade. So when I was going from, you know, like elementary school to middle school, I had to read this over the summer before sixth grade. Pretty advanced book for that, uh, but it was, I really enjoyed it. It's like five books in one. The first book, Arthur is a kid. He doesn't know he's the king yet. And Merlin is tutoring him and turns him into all sorts of animals. If you've seen The Sword in the Stone, the animated Disney picture, which I have not since I was like five, so I don't remember it. Um, that's what that is based on. Then the rest of the book, after the fun beginning part where Arthur turns into animals, is all the boring stuff with Guinevere and Mordred. And that's what this musical is based on. <laughs> Not the fun part. Yeah, it's well, we should mention there's like sort of a fun time mechanism. Like the, the, the story opens with Arthur talking to Merlin, his mentor, and Merlin's like, remember, and then he remembers and goes back. Would so, you call that know. a fun time mechanism? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm grasping for something would here, you call that? Would you call that an ill-advised framing mechanism that delays our like gratification and, and so Listen, I love an old man with a beard, okay? Yeah. <laughs> But then, like, does Merlin ever really reappear in any sort of notable way? 
he does. There's like a whole scene with him later on. Oh in the movie. yeah, I sort of remember that. And in the musical, musical. he's in it more. Um, yeah, but that was like still the most boring parts. Um, <laughs> Which is a shame because like I think of Merlin and I think of Sword in the Stone. Yeah, you know? I mean that's the that's the OG. Yeah, Merlin to beat. I think. Um, and and anyway. that's from the same. It's based on the same book, but that does it so much better. I guess like what I will say, and maybe this is just like me growing up in Waspy, New England. I loved the King Arthur stories as a kid. Like, I loved the Guinevere thing. Like, I remember re- writing my own version of the Arthur story oh. as, like, a poem. I loved – I remember reading um, – oh, I forget what they're called. There's a whole book series about, uh, like, Arthur. Pendragon or something? Oh, no, it's not Pendragon. I think it's actually about the origin of Merlin. Okay. Movies? Anyway. I, did, I didn't, but I, that's the kind of thing that if someone had put it in front of me as a kid, I would have loved it because I yeah. loved fantasy. And I love Merlin. Like I, I, I love Merlin. The Once a Future King I thought was fantastic. I love, at least the beginning parts. I get bored when like Guinevere and Lancelot start cheating. That's the problem. I feel like the Arthur story is really fun when he's a boy and he's learning from a wizard and he pulls the sword from the stone. He gathers right. the knights of the round table and it's really exciting. And then the whole like cuckoldry thing starts and it just, I just don't even, I don't care anymore. I don't care about Lancelot. I don't care about the Guinevere it, it, I don't like it it's just boring to me it bores me and this musical took what was already a kind of boring story and made it really boring I, I don't even understand how it was as boring as it was with, with these talented people working on it. it it was it's stunning yeah okay I just found out what it was P.S. I think they're by T.A. Barron and it's the Merlin saga anyway um, yeah, yeah this is boring yeah. the point is exactly like the, 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 the story of Arthur is great and fun and there's lots of magic and instead they focus on him as like the sad sack king who can't do anything like at the towards the end of his reign rather than focusing on anything active I agree yes um, so they put together this show and it was okay, super, because yes, right. sort of the whole point of the show was like the costume, not that's not the whole point, but all of the reviews, <laughs> the only good thing they talked about is that the costumes were spectacular. Very much like the film was like a beautiful spectacle. I mean, truly beautiful, beautiful costumes. Yeah, really like amazing. And I mean, the Broadway, you look at the pictures, clearly the movie costumes are better than the Broadway ones, but for Broadway in 1960, the costumes are great too. Like they're wearing mail and armor and stuff. Um... <laughs> But it premiered in Toronto. It was supposed to last two hours and 40 minutes and instead clocked in at four and a half hours. Oh, my God. The curtain came down at 20 minutes to one in the morning. Uh, Noel Coward was in the audience, and he remarked the show was longer than the Gotterdammerung and not nearly as funny. Which What's is probably that? it's probably a funny joke if you know what it's that a, is. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Noel Coward joke to me. A little bit yeah. highbrow, a little bit obscure. <laughs> Here, let's see. Um, luckily, I'm reading that off Wikipedia, no, so I can click true. on Goddardamarung. I like Noel Coward. Anyway, um, okay, great. It's yeah, a, it's a, oh, it's it's the final of the Ring cycle oh, by that's Wagner. Funny. That's um, that's cheeky. Very rude. I like it. Yeah, Coward's great. Um, I watched one of his shows with Angela Lansbury years uh, which, ago. Did was it Blind Spirit? Yes, yes. I saw that production. Oh, wow. That's like the first show, first production that both of us saw way before what? we knew each other. Wow. I love that show. It's so funny. That's, yeah, that was like uh, the one time I went to Broadway with my family on like a trip and we saw Shrek and Blythe Spirit. God, those uh, were running concurrently. Shout out to my yeah. roommate, Maddie, who's sleeping just behind the wall where I'm podcasting, who does um, an Elvira monologue from Blythe Spirit and it is funny so eventually it did open and um the reviews were not spectacular i'll read i'll read a clip uh a review or two just to sort of go over it um let's see so those were previews what we read what Noel coward said that was yes yes that was a preview um so eventually it opens this is from robert coleman of the daily mirror learner low and spent so much to mount camelot that the wisecrackers have been calling it cost a lot oh no 
And it looks like it too. If it's pageantry and spectacle you're willing to settle for, Camelot offers a lot. But in our book, it's no My Fair Lady. We suspect that Lerner set out to pen a serious satire on knighthood and flower and missed the boat. His philosophy lacks true depth, and there's too little wit about the premises. There's all too little of the tongue-in-cheek that marked Rogers and Hart's delightful A Connecticut Yankee, a spoof on the same theme. Remember, I think this was like in one of our first episodes, we were talking about the Q factor. Yes, but remind me of what it was. I totally forgot. They did this study where they looked at successful, frankly, like financially successful Broadway musicals, and they assessed um, the ratio of new to old collaborators. And they found there was a special ratio where there were like some repeated collaborators, but some new folks in the mix. And they found that that was often the recipe for the most um, successful collaborations. And I wonder if the Q factor was off because so many folks who'd already created together just sort of got the band back together. And I feel like there was no new juice in the mix. I think that's a perfect explanation, and I, I hate Thank that I you. forgot about that. That was yeah, that's such a good Q factor, isn't that Q good? Q factor. We can't forget mm-hmm. that one again. Yeah, it's a goodie. So maybe uh, Camelot's downfall was it had a it had the wrong the Q factor was not correct. I think you're right. I mean, this was literally the final show of um, Low, so like this is like these are not there's no fresh young talent here. Right. Oh man. I'll read oh. one more sentence from one of these yeah. reviews. This is from John McLean in the Journal American. Just I'll read the first sentence. It would seem to be impossible to top My Fair Lady, and indeed it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a snooze. I don't know. Yeah. And they so they cut it a lot from that four and a half hours, and they continue cutting even after it opened on Broadway. Like one of the songs they cut is "Then You May Take Me to the Fair," which is actually the only song I enjoyed <laughs> in in the show. Really, um, we'll play some. We'll play more music from it soon, just to sort of finish out the the process. So yeah, audiences didn't take to it a lot, and it was very bad for the health of the uh, the three collaborators involved. I will read this quote from the author of this book, Stephen Suskin, um, sort of summarizing the show before I then go into the details, but um, this is what the author of this review book says, Stephen Suskin. The My Fair Lady men decided they didn't even need a producer. They could do it all themselves. <laughs> they couldn't. That the Camelot experience sent them all to the hospital. Moss Hart never quite recovered, dying on December 20th, 1961, while Frederick Lowe simply walked away from Alan Lerner and retired altogether. Lerner hung around for the rest of his life, offering Broadway a handful of additional musicals that Broadway rejected out of hand. Okay, this is sad. This got very sad. It's like a metaphor, like Arthur is them. They were entrapped by the rules of their, their kingdom. Exactly. And the author of my other uh, favorite Broadway book, Larry Stemple, basically makes that connection exactly Mm. the same. Well, thank you, Stemple. Perhaps. Well, actually, so this is him quoting from some other thing. He always does these quotes. It never says what the quote is from. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, at least he's not taking credit for the words himself, but sure. Should say. But he's anyway, not so, here's, <laughs> so here's something that someone else said. Perhaps Lerner and Lowe's Camelot was more prescient than it seemed as it began the era of the 1960s. The dying King Arthur may, at the end of Camelot, optimistically urge a young boy to recount the glories of his kingdom, read America, <laughs> to keep its vision alive. But the tale the musical tells is one where Camelot begins as a heaven on earth, only to become eventually ruined through conflict, treachery, and a breakdown of trust and loyalty, a destruction primarily wrought by romantic love itself. The musical would go on in America, but now it would would be reshaped by a more changing and problematic American world than Broadway had hitherto envisioned. It's actually totally different from what you were just saying, but same thing, I guess. Wait, he's saying the new world, the new order is problematic? Like he's saying like everyone was optimistic about America during the Kennedy years. Oh, I see. Yeah, actually, so that oh, quote yeah, was wait. not going towards what you said at all. What you were saying That's is that fine. the musical is sort of about the, the writers, and I totally agree with you. Like, it's sort of, they are King Arthur, who came in optimistic yeah. and left all sad. 
Um, but it repeated. also applies to the American presidency to an extent. Wait, let's loop back. Talk to me about the Kennedy's length, please. Yes. So tiniest detail before Kennedy. So the musical was doing bad <laughs> and eventually the cast went on the Ed Sullivan show, which is a huge deal. And right. that, that reinvigorated I don't remember a, that, but I know a bunch of is. tourists. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of tourists then started seeing the show and that sort of reinvigorated it and got it an undeserved extension of life. So that was like factor number one in why people like Camelot too much because they didn't actually see the production. They just watched it on Sullivan and bought the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And so the soundtrack was really popular, but the musical was not actually good. But a lot of people in like Kansas were just listening to the soundtrack and watching it on Sullivan and they didn't realize it was bad. So that's not reason number one why people give it too much credit. Reason number two was Kennedy. So uh, John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States who was assassinated, for those Gen Zers who don't know, who listen. Mm-hmm. So basically, <laughs> the association between Kennedy's cabinet and friends as Camelot didn't happen until after his death. Life magazine, which was a really popular magazine in the you know, 50s, 60s time for those Gen Zers who don't know. And uh, Life magazine uh, quoted Jackie Kennedy a few months after his death, or a few weeks after his death. And this is what she said. When Jack quoted something, Jack is what people referred to John F. Kennedy as for those Gen Zers who do not know. When Jack quoted something, it was usually classical, but I'm so ashamed of myself. All I keep thinking of is this line from a musical comedy. At night before we go to sleep, Jack liked to play some records, and the song he loved most came at the very end of this record. The lines he loved to hear were, quote, Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. End quote. So people sort of began to associate Camelot, oh, no. this, this glorious shining. I, I think it's kind of sweet. Uh, I mean, I hate, the, the show is bad, but like. No, okay, um, we heard that is sweet, but. Yeah, so people sort of referred to the Kennedy administration and all of his like young, fun people like RFK and Jackie and, and all those uh, fun, awesome people who are in the White House for three years, which coincidentally was the exact same three years that Camelot was open. Everyone started to look back on Camelot and the Kennedy administration as this glorious moment before everything went wrong, before Vietnam, before Watergate. It was Camelot. Mm. So people still to this day refer to the Kennedy administration as Camelot. People who've never seen the show, people like myself, I just know that like, oh, the Kennedy administration administration was Camelot. Fascinating. I didn't know that piece of history. Perhaps I should. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I'm interested in this, this, in this notion though, that like this play, like, I feel like we kind of like, I've conceived Camelot as being like this really essential part of like the musical history, cultural lexicon. And it seems like it actually was just like faked its way in and never did well. And was always yeah, I, this long, boring show that just had a couple like really lucky cultural touchstones with like the Ed Sullivan show and the Kennedys reference. And so we've conceived of it as this like significant thing. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. Interesting. And mm. I also had not dug into this until after we decided to do Camelot. And I'm glad we did because like it's important because yeah. other people have this conception too. And we should burst their bubble and let them know, no, it's terrible. Don't, <laughs> don't watch Camelot. But yeah, it really, if it wasn't for the Ed Sullivan show and the Kennedys, I do not think... Camelot would have gotten to a point where we would have put it on our list of the most important musicals of all time. We would have skipped it, made it a mini-sode. I would have gotten halfway through the movie and then been like, eh, does this need a mini-sode? Maybe I'll give it 15 minutes of my attention. Um, But instead, we're here. We're here we are. Wait, okay, so while we're here, while we're here, um, almost a half hour into this pod, let's play like another song or two. Yeah, Uh, let's start with Camelot, the actual song (laughs) Camelot, which unfortunately gets stuck in my head. Yeah. The original production uh, had Richard Burton, who is a really mm-hmm. famous actor, uh, does a lot of Shakespearean stuff as Richard Arthur. Burton, famously in Virginia Woolf, playing uh, George with Miss Elizabeth Taylor. Ah, wow. Mm-hmm. I have not seen that. Yeah, they were like lovers, and then they did the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf film 
together and they like oh. a lot of those a lot of people like posit that that's like they're them working out their real couples drama that is on awesome. camera mm-hmm. i am not familiar with that show to be honest which is pretty virginia wolf yeah i'm not familiar what? with it but um <laughs> yeah so richard burton and julie andrews was guinevere right in a long-running tradition she was the star of a learner and low show like my fair lady and then was mm-hmm. replaced for the movie um vanessa redgrave just like audrey hepburn did a a great job but of course not as good as julie andrews would have been in the role although i'm kind of glad that julie andrews steered clear of of that uh disaster of a movie yeah and then robert goulet played lancelot and this was his first role robert goulet is like a big person or he was a big person he's uh, no longer with us but he was a big person on broadway um in like the 60s and 70s and 80s so this was his uh first major role as well in the movie i also want to note richard burton was uh replaced as king arthur by uh richard harris who played dumbledore Mm -hmm. in the first two harry potter movies right oh wow interesting i mean this is this is not going to be for the benefit of anyone other than hannah you'll have to do this googling independently everyone out there but um everyone you know was making all sorts of comments in fantastic beast 2 the crimes of grindelwald which is like also a terrible movie but people were commenting like oh dumbledore is hot this is clearly not the same dumbledore because he's played by jude law clearly not the same dumbledore as like the richard harris guy with the beard they don't look anything alike but i realized when you watch richard harris as king arthur he looks just like jude law's dumbledore it's like it's yes. very uncanny so here here can you see this hannah yeah oh my goodness y'all gotta google this it's very interesting Will you screenshot that and send it to me? I will screenshot that and send it to you. Not right now, but I will. At some point in the future. We'll make this Um, image available online. Yeah, really looks similar. Okay, so now let's play a little bit of the song Camelot. Okay. By by Richard Burton. Great. By Richard. Performed by Richard Burton. Yes. It's true. The crown has made it clear. The climate must be perfect. Very Henry Higgins talk singing. It is very Henry Higgins. was made a distant moon ago here. July and August cannot be too hot. And there's a legal limit to the snow here in Camelot. The winter is for Oh, that's probably not right. <laughs> Kind of the same dum, 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 dum. It does, it gets stuck in your head, unfortunately. It's not untrue. It cannot. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there is that. Yeah, okay. So, what else should we play? What else um, should we play? <laughs> Real banger. Is there other stuff? To- okay, you know what? We should play If Ever I Should Leave You because that is the one song I think I like the best from. Yeah. This is when um, Lancelot is like, you know, he, he and Guinevere are tortured by the wrongness of their affair. And uh, mm-hmm. he's like considering like ending things and then sings this song about how it would be impossible. Yeah. It's such a languid film. And it's I feel like it should be more like hot and young. And like it's about like a fun, sexy love triangle. And instead it's a lot of like looking sad and slowly like lying upon the leaves. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very it's, languid. And the, and the chemistry doesn't feel real between anyone. Um, I will play if ever I would. I will give them credit that I thought I was. I, I bought it. I was just like, y'all have boring lives. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so yeah, let's do this. We'll do if ever I would leave you by Robert Goulet, which to the extent there is a hit from this musical, it is this song. And then after that, I'll play a Julie Andrews song so you can hear her beautiful voice. But here's uh. if ever I would leave you. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in summer. Seeing you in summer, I never would go. Your hair 
with sunlight, your lips red as flame, your face with a luster that puts gold to shame. Okay, and he does the same thing with each of the four seasons. <laughs> and then, he, yeah, he loops through. I mean, I think it's a pretty song. It is. I don't know. I don't no, know it's what great. else there is to say about it. It's a great song. Robert Blay is fantastic. Um, good that he was discovered. He, he's, I wonder, yeah. I feel like I'd be interested in the version of Camelot that is a song cycle that is like Ooh. like under 90 minutes. Like it's just like kind of like the gorgeous sweeping operas, you know? Operas, yeah, and, operas. And I think that's why the soundtrack was so popular. Because yeah. Because it's, it's like it's very lush, old timey. I mean, it, that's not everybody's thing, that type of music. But like there's something to be said. Like it has the make, like it's Lerner and Low, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate. There's a lot of musicals that exist that could be better than they are because they have beautiful beautiful music, sometimes even beautiful lyrics, but are just let down by a bad book. Mm-hmm. And just, like, no one sort of steps in and was like, hey, guys, like, this book is going to be the death of this show. We have to mm-hmm. cut it, totally cut the book, just take the songs as they are and write a whole brand new book totally from scratch before we transfer to Broadway. That's the thing that needs to be done more often. <laughs> this is where I, I detour into Alice yep. by okay, Heart. Okay, there it is. I um, knew it was coming. The, the new... <laughs> collaboration currently off broadway between um what are are their names um the spring awakening guys you know and waitress team right the book is co-written by the woman who directed and wrote the adaptation of the waitress movie that was on the waitress broadway i should get i should know these people's names let me quickly google i'll add the caveat that i've not seen it but um i know someone in it and so i want to be nice (laughs) and they they were really good the cast cool. was really good. Uh, it, it's it's a musical that could be good, but it's not. Anyway, so okay. um, yeah, so Duncan Sheik, um, right? Duncan Sheik, thank wrote you. Wrote the music for Spring Awakening. Wrote the music for this as well. Lyrics um, were by Stephen Sater, who wrote the lyrics for that as well. And then the book is co-written by Sater and Jesse Nelson. Jesse Nelson, who was responsible for Waitress, which is a pretty decent musical. Um, a pretty decent musical, he says. Okay, yeah, it's continue. pretty decent. Um, anyway. <laughs> They, they did it again. Another score. Some of the songs sound very much like they could just be like Spring Awakening 2. Some of the mm-hmm. songs really go into like sort of new genres and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. The book is just so boring in one note. Like it needs to be redone from scratch. If this if this thing is going to transfer to Broadway, it's going to flop. The book? The book's boring? The book is, it's really, it's just mm-hmm. like, I mean, and this isn't really spoiling anything because like, like when you read a blurb about the show before you go, it like sort of makes it clear. Like, Alice is in, it's World War II, they're hiding underground from, like, the bombs of the Nazis in the, in the, the Battle of the Blitz, like, the, the London Blitz, and she has this boy who she's friends with, they're, like, young teens, and he's dying, and she's, so she, like, decides to read Alice uh, in Wonderland to him by heart, because they, it's their favorite book mm-hmm. they used to read together, and um, so they're in Alice Land, and she does not want to advance to the end of the book because that means he's like gonna die, I guess, when she finishes reading it. And he's like, "No, I have to go. Like, uh, like we have to go move on." And like, but it's just they have that same conversation over and over again. Then like a new animal from Alice comes in and sings a song with them. Then they have the same conversation, like, "I want to stay. I want to go." And they do this like the same exact thing like ten times through all the animals. And the animal comes in and sings like an amazing song. Um, and then, like, they do have the same conversation, and then it's over. 90 minutes, no intermission. Like, mm. no no character arc other than Alice, who be- doesn't even really get an arc. Like, it's just so boring. That's a good so frame, boring. though. Like, that frame is really great. I think it could be fixed. I don't think it will be fixed. Because mm. I, 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 I mean, so I saw the previews. It actually opens today. If the reviews are bad enough, maybe they will try to totally fix it. But um, 
I don't know. The, the th- but the thing is, the music and the production numbers are fantastic. The cast was fantastic. Yeah, there's so some it's, good folks in it. It's a fixable show, but, like, the fix required, you can't just, like, punch up the lines. You, I, I really think... It needs, like, you, an overhaul. I think you need to keep the songs, literally mm-hmm. throw out the book. Like, I'm not, like, actually throw it out and start mm-hmm. from scratch, I think, is what needs to be done. I mean, that's my opinion. Maybe some people, maybe we'll see their views and they'll be great. But I will note, in this current day and age where standing ovations are obligatory and, like, everyone always stands up for every show reluctantly, no matter how good or bad it is, like, it just happens automatically. Right. Like, over half the audience in this show I was in last night, even as people started to stand up in the front, refused to get up. Like, pe- like not wow. like not like angrily, but just in this world where people reluctantly get up once they see other people getting up, people stayed seated over half of the crowd. So, like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to get good reviews. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I've been following it on, I don't know, Instagram, because I'm uh, a person I worked with is in it. And um, I really enjoy following Wes Taylor on Instagram from SpongeBob, which is, like, a weird niche thing for me. Um, but Wes he's Taylor, also in it. I yeah, wanna, I want to figure. He was out who Plankton he was. in the SpongeBob musical. <laughs> oh, so is he older? Is he is he the one guy who was like a grown up? Oh no, he was the ball. Oh, he was good. Yeah, he's really talented. Oh, he was good. Yeah, I have no, I don't know him. I just um, enjoy his internet presence, which is uh, weird and makes me uncomfortable to say. He was but... so physical. He was so yeah. physical with his movements. Cool. Everyone's bored. They don't know who we're talking about. Um, yeah. Okay. Whatever. We can cut this or not. Um, no. I mean, maybe there's gonna, some people. We're not going to cut it. We're giving. Maybe you, there's some people the who are interested. We're giving you the scoop. Yeah. You you might hear this before the reviews are out. People. Yeah. Come on. There. We have to counterbalance old sluggish Camelot with something fun and fresh. Um. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. I hope it does transfer to Broadway just so I can listen to the soundtrack. I want mm. them to make a soundtrack, but I really hope it's really good. It. Yeah. Mm. Good production numbers. Very. The design was. everything is good except for the book but for me a bad book can ruin a show no matter right it's it's the same with camelot amazing design there we go pretty music Mm -hmm. horrible book and that ruins the entire thing yeah that's so whatever okay so okay so should we like get into like like do we want to rank this thing do we want to talk more about it I want to play a Julie Andrews song and then we can Oh, right. Play. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Hit us with the Ju- Also, my segue is going to be that I just saw Aquaman and I saw oh. Aquaman because Julie Andrews is the voice of like the mythical beast in the film. Do you know about this? I had heard about it. Was, <laughs> yeah, is, is, she's is not she in Mary Poppins, but she's the voice of like this crab squid. I forget what it is. It's like an old monster. Um, She's obviously amazing. <laughs> yeah, but you tend to like giant crab monsters and movies more than you should <laughs> how dare you bring up moana on our podcast jeremy <laughs> um the people need to know jeremy uh, doesn't love moana and i um there's a lot of things about jeremy that i love but sometimes he's wrong and if you love someone you sometimes accept shortcomings in everyone their mistakes their love of the character moana for loving the movie when jeremy the movie i won't engage with you on this because it will good. get ugly okay okay, okay. The, crab, the crab is <laughs> what's the point anyway how dare um, you bring up the crab <laughs> The coconut monsters. Can Shiny. you defend them? Can you oh defend them? <laughs> They're a fun, whimsical moment. Whimsical. It's a children's movie. film. Yeah, so is a Toy Story, and that's I, good. Toy uh, Story is excellent. Okay, yeah. whatever. Hit us um, with Julie Andrews. I'll play Julie Andrews. Uh, this is The Simple Joys of Maidenhood. And then I'll play the Vanessa Redgrave. I hate version. that song. I hate The Simple Joys. Okay, Joy how about. <laughs> no, play it anyway, because I want to. Oh, no, hear sorry. I, that's not even what I was going to play. You're right. I was going to play The Lusty Month of May. Sure, that sounds more okay. fun. <laughs> The 
frosty month of May. <laughs> the lovely months when everyone goes blissfully astray. Tra-la, it's here, that shocking time of year, when tons of wicked little thoughts merrily appear. It's May, it's May, that gorgeous holiday, when every maiden prays that her lad will be a I mean, I like Julie Andrews, and that's all that there is to say about that. <laughs> yeah, she somehow manages to make being the best woman singer of all time sound effortless. Yeah, it's very, like, calm and relaxed and just like, Christine oh, yes, Clare. I'm just singing about whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's That was Vanessa- a terrible Julie Andrews impression. Let's not let that stand. Okay, continue. Uh, here's uh, Vanessa Redgrave did do a good job. For someone who's not known as being a singer- she I love Vanessa Redgrave. She did do a really, really good job of this movie. So it's unfair to compare her to Julie Andrews, but we yeah. will anyway. Um, well, I will also just say I think she's perhaps the greatest stage actress of all time. So, Yeah, I've never seen her on stage, <sighs> but I mean, I can believe oh, it. Oh, she's so good. I saw her in a one-woman show called A Year of Magical Thinking that um, destroyed my whole life. Good. Sounds bad. Sounds good your life is destroyed. Let's see if she does the same key. It's May. <laughs> Different, different approach. But I'm glad that she and the writers realized her voice was different and gave mm-hmm. her a different take. It actually sounds lusty when she sings it. <laughs> I hate this, Jeremy. We should just end it. <laughs> I mean, I love Vanessa Redgrave. She can do no wrong. I will say, like, the parts of the film I enjoyed the most, or the clips that I watched that I enjoyed the most, are, like, just the shots of her, like, giving face because she's so, like, her eyes are huge and expressive and she contains multitudes. Anyway, um, I could go on. I think Vanessa Redgrave is wonderful. Um, I agree with you. I thought she was... All the actors were good. Um, You're actually... Yeah, I do think it's worth noting, like, I thought all the actors were good. It's just my just heart. sucks. Uh, ah! <laughs> anyway, one final note before we rank is that Vanessa Redgrave and Franco Nero, who played Lancelot in the movie, met on this movie, fell in love, had an, a relationship. Oh. They broke up. She married some other guy. They broke up. And then at some point in the past, like, 20, 30 years or so... Or more recently, maybe she married Franco Nero. So when you watch Whoa, when you watch the Camelot together? movie, I mean, don't watch the Camelot movie. But if you do, note <laughs> that Guinevere and Lancelot met and actually fell in love and are currently married and have children. Wait, but they broke up and got back together. Yeah, but that was like a long time ago. So like they met on the movie, got but together. But that's like the story of Camelot. Ooh. What? You might be right, right? Because they like decide to separate, but then they get back together in the woods or something. Or no, she joins a convent. Never mind. Yeah. It's weird. It's dumb. I'm truly it's wrong. Yeah. Okay. Also, I'll just throw in. Remember, there's some guy on the internet who said that I'm obsessed with talking about sex, like sex in these shows. Broadway Man Five. Yeah. Um, Broadway Man Five. Thank you, Broadway Man Five. Um, so anytime I want to talk about um, the erotic content, I feel that I'm confirming his. Um, no, his, don't let this man shame his you. observation. <laughs> I won't feel shame about it. Okay. I'm just saying. I think that the show's a little sex shamey. Yeah. Like when she's like, I miss the days of maidenhood, yeah. and then she, but then she falls in love, and then she 
has a passion affair with Lancelot, and I feel like then she is going to get burned at the stake, and then in the end she joins a convent! Not a good story arc for Lady Guinevere. No. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, this is bad. Um... I mean, it's not even worth engaging with, honestly, is how I feel. Like, of course, a show about Camelot is, like, not going to be great to women or be very sex positive, but, um, you know. Okay. So <laughs> Just wanted to throw that in there. Ready to rank this? Yeah, let's just get this right, I'm going to give my score for what's important first because I, I want to give you permission to give the score you probably want to give, but that you might currently be too afraid to. Okay. Here's my score for what's important. Zero. <laughs> it's not important. Change nothing. Okay, I'm going to give it like a two and a half okay. because it has so much like cultural impact. Oh, you're right. It does. Whatever. I'm sticking. Like it holds stick, some stick, place. Sticking to my guns. In the canon, just because of like, you know, like, I mean, I don't know, like, not that it's essential and not that I support the reasons why it's important, but there are reasons why people care about the show that I like will reflect with my two and a half. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of don't Zero. credit the show with that. That's like, I credit John F. Kennedy and Ed Sullivan, but you know, yeah. you're right. You're right. No, you're not wrong. Right. I mean, you're a, also a 2. right. 2.5 okay. is not, like, both of our scores, I think, are justifiable. Great, uh, so it'll average out yeah. to a solid one and a quarter. Do you want to go first for was it good? <laughs> um, I'll give it... Was good for its time. A, a two and a half again. Okay. Maybe a, mm, a two and a half. A two, mm, maybe should I go... I don't know. Stick with two and a half. What are you going to give you thinking of going higher or lower? I don't know. What are you giving Zero. It, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> If, if, originally i was gonna maybe give it a higher score for was it good like a one or a two but then i read these reviews and it's like you know what if even these people thought it was like not great like i yeah. back then who's already really rough on shows in the modern day that other people think are good would have also been rough on the show if i had been there in 1960 <laughs> maybe my two and a half you're currently on pace yeah, i'm trying to i think is this on pace for your lowest score ever um yeah i mean it's funny because like there are things that we watched that i hated more but like our current last place is kiss me kate and so far you gave that a three for was it important and a five for was it good so you're already on pace this is your lowest i'm on pace all All right right. well noted um now is it good you want to go first on this one too is it currently good today (laughs) i want to know i'm gonna give it a one one. (laughs) zero it loses last place straight zeros i wish you all could see like the relish with which jeremy is is saying these zeros it's really sight to behold um, it's quite wonderful so uh previously oh i was wrong when i said kiss me kate was our worst show we've done a few worse so previously our worst show was uh pajama game which had 18 out of a maximum of 60 i like pajama game's terrible but i still like don't remember it with like vitriol yeah you know? so that had a uh, 18 out of a total possible total of 60 camelot has a six out of a possible total of 60 it is last place <laughs> um it may never ever be defeated <laughs> let me actually figure out because we do that extra score sometimes all the time that's not gonna help it it'll it'll keep Maybe it in last it but i we for consistency okay so it ran for 873 performances okay so it ran for 873 performances <laughs> which is about a third of the current record of 2717 so that gives it a run score of three 
So that increases its score from 6 to 9 when you add that into consideration. Still distant last because Pajama Game goes from 18 to 22. This goes from 6 to 9. So no matter how you slice it, Camelot is the worst musical we have covered. Not to say it's the worst musical of all time because there's worse musicals which we just haven't covered. Sure. But, All right. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. What are we doing next, Jeremy? Good question. I think we're on to some good stuff in the future. <laughs> so we skipped Unsinkable Molly Brown, which is by the music man guy, Meredith mm. Wilson. I might get to that in a mini-sode at some point in the future. Uh, but next up, we have... We're on, we're on a good run. So next up is How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh, that'll be By fun. Frank Lesser, who did Guys and Dolls. Um, I want to add in, have you ever seen the film Quest for Camelot? A much better no. musical than Camelot. It's a musical? <gasps> it's, I mean, it's a children's film um who made it i feel like it might have been one of those like weird dreamworks films that like is very niche hang on quest for camelot there's a um great song at the end i think the it's warner brothers hold on and in the end the ends with the prayer sung by andrea bocelli okay wow yeah so yeah celine dion's on the soundtrack also oh celine dion sings it on the um in the film and then the credits roll to andrea bocelli's version Anyway, um, Gary Oldman is uh, plays the villain in it. It's great. Um, and if you're <laughs> craving some positive quest for uh, Camelot content, I would highly recommend the uh, 1998 American animated musical fantasy film. Wow, Quest for Camelot. I heard of it, but I didn't realize it was so <laughs> such a star-studded. Oh my god, I'm reading about this right now. Eric Idle, Carrie Elways. Um, it's wonderful. Great. Um, yeah, I can't believe this. You should Google it. It has a great two-headed dragon. Um, it has a scary villain. Yeah. Um, there's a good uh, mother-daughter story. I'm just saying there's a lot of good Camelot media out there, and the musical Camelot is uh, no such I, thing. I, I believe you. I mean, having seen <laughs> this one. Hey, everyone. This is a quick update from Jeremy. A few weeks after we recorded this episode, I then went on to watch Quest for Camelot, and I can report that um, the song with Andrea Bocelli is decent, and the movie is a uh, pretty good attempt at copying disney not it doesn't hit like anastasia does um it's got the whole like ooh comic relief character who like breaks the time fourth wall and like impersonates sunny and share situation like uh, aladdin does very derivative of disney definitely not as good needs probably another six to 12 months in the oven to you know let's just spruce up the animation writing but like all things considered it wasn't so bad i would give it a 5.5 to 6 out of 10 um, and now back to your original recording. But yeah, I guess in terms of what's coming up, How to Succeed in Business, followed by A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, finally our very first only Sondheim show. And also mm. next week or two weeks from now maybe, I will be seeing uh, my parents are coming to New York and wherever they come, uh, they get us Broadway tickets. So we're going to go nice. see- Nice. Good job, Berman. Yes. So we're going to go see the revival of uh, My Fair Lady and the revival- of kiss me kate so um oh. we, you and i will be doing a follow-up episode where we talk because i've also seen the revival of carousel and i would like to talk <gasps> about how all three of those old sexist musicals that we've already discussed hold up in 2019 i will then want to layer in a discussion of the oklahoma revival Ooh. which i saw at saint anne's warehouse which is astonishing Excellent. and Unlike anything you've ever um, seen, I would argue, you, the audience, not you, Jeremy, but also you, Jeremy, included, and it is going to Broadway. Yes, I'm definitely going to buy tickets on Broadway to that, it's 100%. wild. Yeah. I'm very excited to talk about it, so that, that will be Excellent. fun. All right, okay. so um, thank right. you, well, everybody. Please follow us on various <laughs> mediums, um, such as... I can't get into our Instagram account, so I'm going to fix it. I will. I'm actually at the point where I might call Instagram. 
because I have other Instagram accounts. Nobody cares about this, <laughs> but I literally, they won't let me log back into it. That it's fine. Bummer. We're going to solve yeah. it. I know we have a really um, vibrant Instagram following base. Yeah, uh, we're on so. Twitter at Broadway underscore binge. Uh, so yeah, you know, <laughs> okay. like you can please tweet at us, please. please. Um, it is yeah. fun. Sometimes yeah. people do okay, it. Bye. Right, bye. <laughs>